Welcome everyone to the NEC On The Run podcast. I am your host, Ryan Peters, and I'm filling in for the man who wears many hats, Mr. Ron Radner. You know, Ron's a busy man this week with the NEC regular season ending in spectacular fashion. Ryan is regular season champions. They have the one seed in the NEC tournament. Also, Ron will be handing out hardware, I think, later today you know, during this podca- podcast taping. And then he's got to preview the NEC tournament, deal with the logistics. So I'm kind of filling in here as the host. And I wanted to usher in a special guest, a man who's been here before. He did a great job with Ron and I a few weeks ago. And that's uh, Jordan Miner, the Merrimack power forward, who I have a feeling is going to have some hardware of his own later on this week. Jordan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm going to try to fill in your space the best way I can. So <laughs> I'm sure you'll do great. So before we dive into the NEC tournament and, and this preview, let's talk about Merrimack. You guys finished the season really well. You you won six of your last eight. What was the real difference for your team? You won a couple overtime games against Wagner and SFU. We talked about that great Wagner when you guys were unstoppable offensively in that extra frame. Mikey Watkins made some big plays for you in a few of those games, St. Francis, Sacred Heart, you know, among them. And then you also, too, your defense kind of stepped up with the exception of maybe that Sacred Heart game. You know, you held your opponents to in the wins anyway, you held them to under a point per possession. What was the difference? How did you guys play so well down the stretch, given your, your tough stretch middle of the season where you lost five in a row? Uh, I think the most important thing for us, you know, down that stretch where you said we were losing five in a row, kind of just staying together and sticking with it and staying with the plan. Uh, coach just reiterated to us every practice, just stay with it, stay together. And it's all about us. So. We kind of try to uh, emphasize that, you know, with the last games of the season, and that's what we did. We stayed together, uh, got that big uh, Wagner win, which kind of gave us momentum for the rest of the season. So uh, we just stayed together and stayed through it. I feel like you guys were in better sync offensively, right? Was that kind of more just continuity and late in the season, you guys got more comfortable with each other? Yeah, I think, I think you know, sometimes the ball used to stick uh, a little bit with one guy. so. Uh, we try to emphasize moving it a little bit more. And we started that, you know, a little bit with the Wagner game, but we definitely got it moving a little bit more. And, you know, it comes with playing with each other, uh, getting used to each other as the season goes on. And we kind of perfected that towards the end of the season. Yeah, I got, you know, you guys shot the three ball a little bit better of late too. I got to put you on the spot here, you know, three point contest between Devin, Michael and Jordan. Who's winning that? That's 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 a tough one. That's a tough one. I gotta say, I gotta say either Kel or, or McCoy. I gotta say either Kel or McCoy. I think I think I think I think Kel got the crown because he he can get his his off real quick. But yeah. I I got I have to give it to Kel. I mean, all three of those guys are great catch and shoot options, right? Yeah. You, you, I, mean, I love this. I love the stat where you you guys beat LIU. You made seventeen of twenty six from deep. Jordan McCoy made seven threes in that game, and he literally did not dribble the ball when he made yeah. those threes. Yep, did not dribble the ball. Whenever he caught it, he was a threat, and he just let it up. So, yeah. So I mean, let's let's get into the NEC tournament. So you know, unfortunately, Merrimack's in the unique position where you know you're still in the middle of your Division One transition process. You cannot compete in the NEC tournament. You cannot compete in the NCAA tournament. So that's part of the reason why you're kind of filling in as the quote-unquote analyst today because you will no longer be playing any NEC competition so feel free you know give us give us a scoop on all these teams but I want to start with Bryant the champions 
Um, and just let's talk about the defense first. You know, I know Bryant likes to mix and match their zone defenses. You know, they do some two, three, they do some one, three, one. How similar is Bryant's zone to your zone? Because obviously you guys practice against it a ton because, you know, that's what all you employ during games at that, that two, three kind of chaotic zone. How similar is Bryant's defense between your defense? I would say I was I would I would say they're very different actually. Um ours is more of uh two three where you know we kind of uh press up on shooters and we kind of make them make uh the defense the offense take tough twos. Whereas, you know, Brian, they're more of a matchup uh zone, uh like in that two three, and then when they go with that one three one. But uh with Hall, Alicia's back, they they have a, a great rim protector um with him. So their defense is uh, for sure one of the best in NEC, for sure. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you guys even call your your zone defense a 2-3? Because I feel like once the ball crosses half court, you guys are more like a hybrid 1-3-1, one, one, right? Because your, your wings are just pinching off the baseline so much to prevent, as you mentioned, those perimeter shots. I wouldn't even call it, I wouldn't even call it zone. I, I don't know what <laughs> you would call it because, you know, we, we move all the time. The wings, the guards up on the front line, they always moving. So whenever you think, you know, you see an opening, someone's always there. So definitely chaotic. Like we like to make chaos. So that's what, what it, that's what we're about. Yeah, you guys create a lot of turnovers. Brian actually does not coincidentally create a lot of turnovers with their zone. But, you know, you and Hall Elijah, as you mentioned, are very similar in the middle there. You know, Hall missed a bunch of time late, but he came back. He played really well in that game against Wagner to close out the season. How does, when you're scouting Brian and you watch Elijah's play, is he similar to how you play in the back of that two, three zone? Cause I know you've been called the quote unquote goalie. Your, your goal is to kind of stay just outside that restricted area, keep your chest to the ball, rotate when you have to, and then block shots and obviously draw charges. Does Elijah do something similar? or Is he a little bit different in that respect? I think, I think it's similar, a little bit different in the charging, uh, the charge take, but definitely being back there, you know, it's all about uh, protecting the rim and kind of, you know, covering up the pain. I think he does a great job of that. Uh, leading the uh, NEC in blocks, I believe. So mm -hmm. he's definitely a great rim protector and, uh, and definitely holds that back line down for the Brian defense. Yeah. How, how do you stop Peter Kiss and Charles Pride? <laughs> I mean, you try to do the you try to do the best you can with them. I think uh, with Hall coming back, it kind of kind of gives them you know a little space for them to breathe. And you know when they drive, you can just throw it up and he'll be there to catch it. But you're going to try have to try your best to slow down uh kiss and pride for sure. Is it really just trying to keep them in front of you? Cause I feel like off the dribble drive, both those guys are just lethal. Like once you, once they get into the pain, it's over. I think with them, you know, they're going to get their shots up. I think you just want to make them try to make as tough, as many tough twos and tough threes as they can. Uh, you know, some of them going to go in, like I think kiss had a couple of them back uh, in a row in that win over Wagner. Um, so you just, trying to play as uh, tough defense as you can and try to make them take as many tough shots. Yeah. You know, they love the run up and down the floor. Do you feel like there's a team that matches up well with kind of Brian's style, you know, going into this NEC tournament? Is there a particular team that you think could match up well with them? I think, uh, you know, Brian, they love to be up and down in transition. I think LIU, Wagner, they love to get their buckets in transition as well. So I think those are, you know, good matchups, but um, it's all about slowing them down, and if you slow them down, try to play in the half court, you kind of have better chances of uh, making the game a little bit closer. 
Yeah, I like that LIU distinction because they they are not shy to high tempo basketball. Derek Kellogg's always been like that. Um, and I feel like, you know, let me know if you agree with me. I feel like LIU has that defensive length that could bother, you know, pride and kiss, you know, because they have a lot of size two through five, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think, you know, you could probably put uh, Ty Flowers or Eral Penn on one of them, and, you know, with their length and their defense and also ability to, you know, block shots and makes it tough for them. You know, they have a big three with Conte as well. So it definitely gives them uh, a lot of defense uh, with length and blocking shots. Definitely makes it hard for, uh, you know, if that were to match up the Bryant and LIU, that would be tough for uh, Kiss and Pride, but that would be fun yeah. to see. Yeah, and the Sharks dropped 85 points on you guys at second to last game. What makes them so difficult to contain offensively? I think, you know, they got so many weapons, you know, it all starts with Flowers. And then, you know, when he gets going, you, you look and see, you see Penn, he, he has like 18, 20 points. And then, you know, they have a bunch of solid guys too. Kendall Davis, you know, he always leads the way um, in transition for them. And then, you know, they have Alex Rivera as well. You know, he can knock down threes in a, in a hurry, uh, play with him uh, back in AAU. He can knock down threes in a hurry. And you also got Conte who's uh, more of a paint finisher. So they really got a lot of weapons. Yeah, I feel like, you know, too, they, they made their, when they make their threes, I feel like the offense is quite unstoppable because it complements that front court, right? Yeah, just, it, it makes them going. Uh, when, I don't know if anyone's noticed, whenever they hit a three, you always hear uh, Penn yell, boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely gets them going for sure. And it also helps in their game and transition. So definitely gets them excited. Yeah, I'm a big E-Raw Penn fan just because he's like the kind of the number one cheerleader when he's on the floor. I mean, it almost feels like it's infectious, right? So like when LIU's playing well and Penn gets going, he's kind of that, that, that energizer for that team, right? I mean, and, you, and you, you know, you love playing with a guy like that. You know, you love playing with a guy when you score and it's not all about him. He's still cheering you on. And he still wants to see the best out of you. So, you know, doing things like that, it makes the game uh, so much easier and makes the game uh, come more to you, so. Yeah, you know, let's go to Wagner, because obviously Wagner, I think they're a contender. They've stumbled of late. They've lost two of their last five, or you know, they, they've gone two and three in their last five. And a lot of that is because they're not without, they're without Elijah Ford now, unfortunately, due to the knee injury. Mm -hmm. Can you compare and contrast the differences when you played Wagner earlier in the year when they beat you up in North Andover? I believe that was a 71 to 57 final. And compare it to when you played Wagner without Elijah Ford and you got beat him in that dramatic overtime. How much different is Wagner on both ends of the floor without Ford? Um, you know, Ford's a big piece uh, for Wagner. I mean, he can really guard one through four. Um, big on the defensive end and on the offensive end, they just become so much more versatile with him on the floor. Um, with him off the floor, you know, you kind of have to put more load on Martinez and um, Morales to kind of score and get you uh, buckets. And he was kind of that guy you, you could look towards uh, when you were in trouble, not even for bucket, just, but just for energy. You know, he's a big energy guy. Yeah. Um, and he really brings that energy and that toughness uh, to Wagner. So it was definitely hard to see him, you know, out for the season. So, but they're definitely a, a different team without him. He brings a lot of energy and a lot of toughness to that team. Yeah, I feel like he kind of carved up your zone, kind of the middle of that zone, because he's such a great decision maker and he's got great quickness and he could hit that elbow jumper, right? So now if, if Wagner's in that situation where they're playing against a Bryant in that zone, you know, who do you think is the best option to kind of attack the interior there? Is it, is it Martinez? 
I think it, I think it is Martinez. Um, he kind of did it a little bit uh, to us in the win over Wagner, yeah. um, and a little bit in the Bryant game. So I think he would definitely be a you know a good player to kind of make instincts and kind of make reads in that zone. Uh, you could also probably throw Morales in there to uh, kind of make reads and get the team going, get himself yeah. going. I mean, the the, the amount of uh... You know, the offensive load on Morales' shoulders is pretty substantial now, especially about Elijah. Is there a guy we already know about, you know, Morales and Martinez and Raekwon Rogers? Is there another guy in this Wagner team? Do you feel like if they step up and play well, Wagner has a real chance to win the NEC tournament? Um, I think for me, it's, it's Raekwon, right? I mean, I mean, you kind of got to have the that guy you can throw it into the post and kind of get some easy buckets for you. Also yeah. pick it out uh, and just make things easier. Uh, on the perimeter for, you know, drives and cuts and threes. So I think Rogers will have like a lot of, um, a lot on his plate, but off the bench, um, Fletcher will also be, uh, I think, very key to, you know, kind of like I said, getting some easy buckets, uh, trying to make the team not take as many uh, tough twos as they would like. I think that was the main problem in their uh, Wagner-Bryan game. Bryan had to force them to make a little bit more tougher twos than they would hope. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you mentioned Rogers, and I thought you guys did a, in you in particular, you guys did a great job kind of containing Raekwon in that in that overtime win against Wagner. I believe he only had six points on nine shots. How were you able to contain him? And does Wagner need to like come up with more creative ways to to get Rogers the ball? Because I feel like sometimes that post entry pass is just not there, and they're kind of forcing it in, and it puts Rogers in a tough spot. Is there a way to kind of get him the ball in in different ways to kind of I don't know, make that offense a little more efficient. I mean, when it comes to defense on on him and Wagner specifically, it was all about making them take tough twos. But I think you could probably drop a couple of plays here and there to get him going. But, you know, also get him going on the offensive and defensive end. You know, it doesn't just take offense to get you going. But yeah. I think uh, Delaney Hunt will step up too, big, big time for them. He stepped up big in the Bryan game. So I expect him to step up big for them uh, down the stretch and especially in the playoffs. He did. He played really well in that Bryant game. I believe he gave him 19 points. Uh, I'm going to look that up now to confirm I'm not wrong there, but uh, he, he played really well. He, he did. He had 19 points on, you know, on six of six of 12 shooting, had an assist, three steals. So he's definitely an X factor. I agree. You know, I don't I don't think Coach Gallo really wants me to bring this up, but you guys are one in five against Mountaineers since you guys joined the NEC. Uh, yeah. what, what's made what's made Mount St. Mary so difficult for for Merrimack to contend with? Um, I think the biggest thing with them is they're, I don't, I don't want to say simple, but they're very, uh, they don't complicate the game. Mm -hmm. they, uh, you know, they got the two big men, uh, Apoku and Jefferson down there, kind of holding it down in the back. And now they got Jalen Benjamin uh, kind of creating and getting shots on the perimeter. So, you know, they're, they're very tough to play at home too. I don't think, I can't even remember the last time they lost at home before St. Francis Brooklyn beat them, but they're very, very tough team. I think they're a dark horse in this uh, playoff, playoff uh, run. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I agree. I mean, if there is one or two guys on Mount St. Mary's offense that the scouting report needs to focus on, who are those guys? Cause it's kind of tough, right? Because they're, they're very, um, versatile in that they're they're balanced in their scoring attack but if there's one or two guys that the defense the scouting report really needs to focus on who do you think those guys are I think obviously for them to get going you know Jalen Benjamin has to uh you know be on point uh not only with himself but you know also finding teammates I think uh 
their key one of their key players is uh, Mezzi Offram. For mm-hmm. him to get going, for them to get going, is going to be good for him. Um, you know, he's just got to find, you know, like I said, easy points in transition. You know, he can he can kind of do a bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, so, especially on the defensive end, I think he can kind of, you know, get steals and get out in transition, kind of get easy dunks, kind of get that energy going for them. But I think he's going to be a key key role in um, Mount winning. Yeah, so we, we kind of touched on the four, the top seeds, the teams that are hosting a game in the NEC tournament quarterfinals. But I want you to give me a sleeper team, one or two teams here that are seeded five through eight, you know, whether it could be Sacred Heart, it could be St. Francis University, it could be Central Connecticut State, St. Francis, Brooklyn. Who are one or two teams that you think can actually win a game or two in the NEC tournament? You know, it's 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 a tough road to win three straight road games. It's unprecedented in NEC tournament history. So to ask any of these teams to win it all is going to be a very, very difficult. But surely there's a team here that could pull pull off an upset or two, right? I mean, I think I think Sacred Heart has a good chance to pull up. An offset, an upset. I don't get me going here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I mean, I'm being serious. Uh, you know, they got uh, Aaron, Aaron Clark uh, holding it down with the point, and they got uh, Todd, Tyler Thomas. Uh, you know, they can both get a lot of buckets, a lot mm-hmm. of buckets, and they also got Nico, who I think should probably win Most Improved Player of the for the conference. I mean, he's been unbelievable the past couple of days. I mean, past couple of games. So. I think they definitely have a chance, you know, to upset uh, LIU. If they can, if they can slow uh, Flowers and uh, Penn down, get get a couple stops on the stretch, I feel like they could uh, possibly upset LIU. But it's it's gonna be tough. LIU got a lot of uh, weapons, like I said before. So yeah, let me let me get off on a tangent here with Sacred Heart. And I have to ask you about the phenomenon of Tanner Thomas. He had <laughs> he had twenty six points. Yeah, and you were defending him in a lot of these in a lot of these possessions. He had 26 points on 10 of 11 shooting. I talked to Coach Gaetano after the game, and he's like, "We had never seen Tanner make those moves yeah. in our scouting of him. Like, what happened? Were were you and your your teammates and coaches just looking at each other and saying, where did this come from? Where did this performance come from?' A little bit, a little bit of that. I mean, he kind of <laughs> got, uh, like you said, some good hooks with the left uh, down the stretch in uh, in the end of that game, but. Uh, you know, sh- trying to make him take tough twos. I mean, still tough twos, and they was going in. So, yeah. got to give it up to him. Uh, he's going to be really good. So, uh, I think if they get him going as well, you know, kind of coming off the bench, uh, yeah. trying to make, you know, tough twos like he was uh, against us, I think they also have a chance. So, he's going to be uh, – it's going to be interesting to see how he plays uh, in his first, you know, NEC run. So, yeah, and also of note too, you know, Bryce Johnson has played a lot better of late. Uh, you know, he's had, he's averaging a double double over his last six games, and obviously that's going to be critical because, as as we know, LIU is so good at finishing around the rim with Conte and Penn and Flowers and and Kendall and his ability to get out in transition. So, mm-hmm. the the front court defense is really going to be a focus. Whether you're talking about Bryce Johnson or Nico Gallet, I mean, is there any way to slow them down? I mean, it's tough to it's tough to defend Conte in that post, right? Yeah, it is. It, def- it definitely is. He gave uh, us some trouble when we played them uh, this past uh, week. But, you know, it's a focal point. If Nico and um, Bryce can, you know, kind of slow down Eral and Flowers and Conte, it's going to be hard. You know, you got to kind of have to focus on two of them. And then you look over and one of them, one of the three is going off. So it's going to be hard. But I think they should be able to do it. Uh, 
they've, as you said, they've been playing well of late, so hopefully they can get that done. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is a question you could actually, you know, legitimately answer because a lot of you guys, you, you play zone, obviously you don't play man to man, but I'm just curious, you know, from a, a pick and roll standpoint, who's more difficult to defend Aaron Clark or central Connecticut's uh, Nigel Scantleberry? I, I, oh, that's tough. That's tough. I, I think it would have to be Nigel, but just like Nigel 1A and Aaron Clark 1B. Nigel was making, has been making uh, extremely good plays and reads off the pick and roll, yeah. uh, as, especially as of late. So he's definitely been playing uh, well. Yeah, I mean, once he gets downhill, right, that, that offense opens up because he has the ability to kick it out. He could finish around the rim. He could finish with both hands and he's quick. So He's got to be one of the best slashers, I think, in the league, from the, at least from the guard spot. Yeah, definitely when he gets in, into that paint, you know, it, he has a lot of options. Like you said, uh, kick it out for a teammate, Ian, or uh, Trey Mitchell for three. And then, you know, you, you got uh, Aaron, uh, Andre Snoddy, who's probably rookie of the year. Yep. You got Aiden Brown uh, down there, too. So he's definitely got a lot of options when once he gets off that pick and roll. And you definitely got – Snotty uh, send the screens. Uh, Brown, Jaden Brown send the screens. Definitely good option. So once he gets yeah. that, it's hard to stop. Yeah, you know, Central Connecticut's going into that matchup against Bryant on Wednesday night. You know, at, at the Chase. You know, they're a 15 point underdog per Ken Palm. Um, so obviously, it's going to be a, a big upset if they could somehow pull it off. But I feel like Andre Snotty, as you mentioned, the, prob the probable rookie of the rookie of the year. He had multiple rookie of the weeks. I feel like, you know, him attacking the middle of that Bryant zone, I think could be could be advantageous for Pat Sellers and his group. I think, you know, because that as we've seen against Bryant, the middle of that zone can be open They're they're They want to restrict threes like you guys do defensively, but they kind of leave that that middle of the zone open around the, you know, the elbow, the three for a line. Do you feel like Snotty has to have a big game if if he does and they have a chance to keep it close? Right. Yeah, I think he definitely does have to have a big game for them to keep it close, uh, to keep it respectable. Uh, I think they, you know, they just got to have to score as many points as Bryant does. Yeah. Uh, and like in that zone, if Snotty or you can put uh, Scandalberry in there and kind of make decisions, make reads in the middle of that zone, I think it would be good for them uh, if they, you know, try to upset uh, Bryant. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't we didn't touch on them, but I, I do want to talk about St. Francis Brooklyn briefly. You know, they did finish fifth in the in you know the, the, the NEC tournament standings. So they are going to Emmitsburg for that first round matchup. And, you know, Glenn Breka has a, a veteran group. It's kind of weird, too, because they kind of embrace that mid range game. Michael Kovic loves that mid range jumper. Um, you know, Patrick Emelian kind of has that Dirk Nowitzki fadeaway. I don't I don't know. You may not even know who Dirk Nowitzki. You, you know who Dirk Nowitzki is, but like oh, I, course, I don't yeah. know. Is there is there like a similar NBA guy who has that fadeaway now, a, a tall, you know, a power forward type that Patrick Emelian kind of emulates? I, I don't think I don't think now, not not now. You could probably say Embiid, maybe a little bit, okay. but yeah, yeah. I'm not an NBA guy, so I don't really follow the the league too closely. So I'm just, I'm relying on you, Jordan, that you know as a as a 20 year old to help me out here. But you know who? How do how do you defend? St. Francis Brooklyn, when they embrace the mid-range game so much and they have the ability to kind of fill it up, you know, from from two. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Cubbage and Emilia, you know, like you said, they're both great in the mid-range game. But, you know, they got uh, three three-point shooters as well and Wilcock yeah. and Higgins. So, you, and Moreno off the bench. Like, 
you got they got shooters as well. So you kind of have to, you know, try to make coverage. I mean, yeah, coverage and uh, Emilian take tough twos yeah. as well as, you know, the three point shooters to kind of uh, force them to make shots as well. But the, I think they could they could upset uh, Mount, too. They I think this past couple of weeks ago, they beat Mount at their place. So yeah. they definitely have a chance to uh, upset Mount. Yeah, a big thing there is, you know, Malik Jefferson has not been healthy of late for Mount St. Mary's, and that kind of takes away a big part of their interior attack, especially mm -hmm. defensively. I know Opoku is a defensive player of the year, the reigning defensive player of the year, but without Malik Jefferson, those second chance opportunities for the Terriers could open up, right? Yeah, definitely could. You know, if you got Emilian and Cubbage uh, and send them to the rim, and it's just Opoku, they definitely have the chances uh, with Malik Jefferson out, but Malik Jefferson out definitely, you know, it definitely favors uh, St. Francis Brooklyn, but, you know, hopefully he can get healthy. Hopefully he can uh, be able to play in the game because it's definitely going to be a uh, much more of a bigger impact with him in the game. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, let's touch on him because you briefly mentioned Larry Moreno. He's kind of an enigma in that you don't know what Larry Moreno you're going to get, but the last three games he scored in double figures. He scored 11 points against you guys, made three of eight from deep. I feel like he's kind of the wild card in this. If you, if you get if you get good Larry Moreno off the bench in Emmitsburg on Wednesday night, I think St. Francis has as good of a chance as any to pull off the upset. I wouldn't really call it a wild card because he's he's a really great and solid player. I think it's just a little bit of uh, consistency uh, with when it comes to scoring. But if he can get it going, he can get it going. Then uh, I'm pretty sure they definitely have a chance to you know uh, beat Mount, but. He's definitely a, a key role because he can fill it up. He can fill it up. Yeah, and then, you know, lastly, I want to touch on St. Francis University. They're going to Wagner. They're most likely going to be down Rennell Giles and Miles Thompson. Uh, Ramir Dixon Conover, I think, is, is to be determined if he's going to play on Wednesday. So, obviously, they're already down two starters going into that matchup against Wagner. Um, but I feel like Maxwell Lance played really well of late. He had 15 points against you guys. And I, I just love his versatility. What, what, what makes Maxwell land, uh, I, I think, a really promising sophomore, you know, in the years to come in the NEC? I mean, uh, I mean, when he played us, he was, you know, just active, I think is the best way you can say. He was, you know, he caught a nasty uh, putback dunk, uh, hit a couple of threes and made a couple of good plays for his team. So I think the word I would use is just active. He knows where to be on the floor. He's always in the right position. So definitely a good thing for uh, St. Francis. Sneaky athletic too, right? Sneaky athletic, sneaky athletic. Like I said, with that put back dunk, you know, always want to put a body on someone when the rebound goes up, but he's sneaky athletic. So he will put, he can put someone on a poster. I'll say that. Yeah. And I'm still trying to understand this whole Brad McCabe thing. He kind of just came out of nowhere, literally did not play for eight games. And then all of a sudden these last, you know, I think eight games, he's averaging nine and six, which is pretty impressive. And he's kind of turned into like that stretch three, four man for them, which gives mm -hmm. him kind of a different dynamic, right? Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely takes some pressure off of Josh Cohen, who's just been playing phenomenal for them yeah. as they like to throw, throw him the ball and kind of get the offense moving around him. But it's definitely given some pressure off Cohen for sure. Yeah, so we've gone through all eight teams that are still alive in the NEC tournament. I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me... Give me a give me a dark horse, and then give me your favorite to win the NEC tournament. Dark horse and favorite. So, I think I think LIU has a chance. Okay. I, th I think they just got 
too much firepower, you know, with the three uh, flowers, Penn and Conte, just them and themselves is enough firepower. And you also got Kendall Davis, Alex Rivera. So I think that I think they're going to be tough to beat. But I, I'd say my favorite is probably Bryant. Yeah, they got uh, Kiss and Pride going and Hollis is coming back. It's just a whole different game with them back, you know, him being able to protect the rim and kind of alleviate some pressure off Pride and Kiss. And I'd say uh, my dark horse, dark horse is either Sacred, Sacred Heart or Mount. I think I think Mount, if they can get Jefferson back, um, it's definitely going to be good with him and Opoku on that back line. And then Jalen Benjamin uh, making some plays for them off, you know, pick and rolls and on the perimeter. And then if Mezzi Offram can, you know, kind of get going and get uh, active and start uh, playing uh, well for them in the playoffs. I think, you know, they could kind of go far and be a dark horse in this uh, NEC run. Yeah, you actually gave me, you could have called LIU a dark horse because I think, you know, if you look at Ken Palm's projections, they're 11% to win the tournaments. So that's not very high, but they're playing really well. They've won six in a row. And they're, they're now, you know, they finished the, the league at 12 and six. It was the first time in four years that they've had better than a 500 record under, you know, in Derek Kellogg's tenure. So as you mentioned, they have a number of pieces playing well. And they have that, when you have that, you know, Alex Rivera making shots off the bench and you have Trey Wood facilitating and getting downhill and in transition. And obviously we already know about Penn Flowers and Conte when you have those guys and Kendall Davis defensively, uh, I feel like that's kind of, they're going to kind of be the sleepy trender, trendy pick for a lot of people. Trendy, trendy pick is definitely what I would say. I mean, and with that 11%, with how they've been playing as of late, you wouldn't have even known, as you said, like six and six or five in a row. I think you said six in a row. They're definitely, uh, they've been playing well of late at the right time too, right before the run. So you can't, it's perfect timing. Yeah. And they're the only team that's actually beaten Bryant literally in the month of February. <laughs> so, um, exactly. so yeah. that's why I think, I think, uh, you know, with Ford, with Ford out, it, it does hurt Wagner. So yeah. I think, I think if, I think it'd be LIU, Brian in that uh, chip game. So, yeah, but it's tough to count out Bashir Mason's group, right? I mean, they're yeah. tough. They're, they're tough and together, right? It definitely, it definitely is. And, you know, you got arguably, you know, reigning player of the year, could possibly be player of the year when this comes out, yeah. Alex Morales. So, I mean, when when you got him playing, you just can't you can't quit. You can't just yeah. take Wagner out the equation. So, they're definitely yeah. 100%. Yeah, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you who your player of the year is cuz I'll 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 spare you that, but Jordan, I really want to thank you for for coming on and and talking NEC hoops with me and kind of previewing the tournament. You did a great job. We went through all eight teams. We we touched on various points, and uh, you know I I appreciate the time. And uh, if you guys have a postseason coming up, good luck. Thank you. Appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Oh, hopefully, I filled your spot as best as I could. And it was fun, <laughs> fun being here with you today. So I appreciate it. You did great. I appreciate it, Jordan. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the NEC on the Run podcast. This was audio only. I hope you enjoyed the preview of the NEC tournament. We have basketball coming up, playoff basketball. When this when this taping comes out, poss quite possibly there will be playoff basketball, the quarterfinals this evening. So enjoy the basketball. It's going to be a great week ahead, and we'll talk to you again soon.